0: Hi everyone, this is Glenn with the Merrimack Valley DSA, bringing you another episode of Roses in the Valley. For this episode, we broke the mold a bit and decided on delivering a longer, candid conversation between two veteran organizers. Josh is a DSA MV member, Lawrence School Committee member, and participant in numerous groups around the Lawrence Merrimack Valley area. He is joined by Ryan, an organizer with ACT On Mass, a group that seeks to empower voters and defend against state house inaction. We brought these two talented leaders together for a conversation about an upcoming Act on Mass campaign that would see the right to strike for state union workers restored for the first time in nearly a century. Stay tuned, because as the campaign draws closer, we'll likely have a follow-up episode in the coming months where you can learn how to get directly involved. Thanks for listening, and with that, I'll let Josh and Ryan take over from here. Hey, Josh. What's going on, Ryan? Good to be with you. How have you been? chilling man now yeah i'm excited to get into this conversation yeah. on uh right to strike so yeah how, how we uh how do we come to this thing
1: yeah um well, i guess before we like jump into right to strike and the campaign should we uh, we could start like backgrounds or uh, josh what got you into organizing how'd you end up with where you are now
0: yeah i've been an organizer in in lawrence in the merrimack valley for over a decade um just talking to folks about things uh critical issues in our community public education immigration uh police relations um and then i jumped into some paid work um on the no on two campaign for uh, against the charter cap lift uh, mm-hmm. and we won that yes mm-hmm uh, through critical mass action and a signature collection and all that good stuff door knocking um, and then jumped on Raise Up Fight for 15, Paid Family Medical Leave and uh, the Fair Share mm-hmm. Amendment Absolutely. that we have to get that done ASAP um, and then I did the mm-hmm. uh, fought for Trans Rights uh, I think that was the Yes on 3 and then um, ended up at Planned Parenthood doing sexual Reproductive Health uh, rights, um, and then, uh, now I'm at jobs with justice, um, doing workers' rights and I'm a Lawrence school committee member, elected Lawrence school committee member. Awesome. So this, this like tradition of, of workers organizing across sectors is really important to me. The class and racial struggle are paramount in my life. So I'm really excited about this. mm mm-hmm. That's
1: awesome. How about yourself? Um, I've been all over the place. Yeah. Dang. Trying to breathe over here. Yeah, busy. Um, I'm the classic 2016 Bernie convert. I uh, grew up a Republican, actually. Um, got started in local politics on Rep Al-Yogardo, who represents Jamaica Plains campaign. And that must have been the summer of 2018, just as like a hmm. door knocker and spent went out two or three shifts for a couple of months, knocking on doors, talking to hundreds of folks in JP, talking about politics, talking about state house, how dysfunctional it is. And I fell in love, I was hooked. Um, Then was the field director for, who now representative Eiderhoven uh, of Somerville, helped run that campaign, and now work for Act on Math, um, transparency organization, but ultimately what we try to do is solve the question of you have issues you care about. How do I take action to pass bills in the state house? Cause the state house doesn't pass legislation. And we know that sending letters or leaving voicemails doesn't move the needle so that what can you do? And that's the problem we're trying to solve. And partially the thinking behind right to strike. So uh, we can, we can jump into We'll get to that. We'll get yeah. To that. Yeah.
0: I feel like we all grew up Republican in this super like, Right-wing country, right? Like that's that's interesting. I I never thought about it that way, but you saying that was just like ah, I think the Overton window has definitely shifted a lot to the right. Um, absolutely,
1: yeah, definitely. Grew up, uh, neoliberalism has been drowning us from since our infancy. Yes. So, right to strike, should we should we jump into it? What we're doing? Absolutely. Okay, so. Little-known fact: uh, It's illegal for public sector workers to strike in Massachusetts. Section 9A of Massachusetts General Law says that it is illegal for a public employee or employer organization to engage in a strike, and no public worker shall organize or shall induce, encourage, or condone any strike. And that's been in place for almost uh, for now over a hundred years, in which yeah, it's insane. So in like 1919, there was a Boston police strike. And this was uh, right after the end of the First World War, like peak Red Scare. And their uh, police officers went on strike. There was public chaos. And that was incent- that was an impetus or rationale for cities, states, municipalities all around the country to make it illegal for public sector workers to strike. And in Massachusetts, it's been illegal since,
0: since 1919. I feel like the... The right to strike being illegal, period, is, is is frightening to me. And 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 then you said the piece about that I, I had no idea about. They can't even condone a strike. Wow! Like, wow, wow! You can't even say nothing about a strike happening as a public sector employee or a union. That's that's wild to me.
1: Yeah, it's madness. So, like, it creates real fear. If you, you can't. It's like a critical component for fighting for change, for organizing, is talking to your colleagues and withholding your labor. And you can't even condone or support in the workplace the right to strike. Like, how the heck are you supposed to organize in your workplace? And therefore, people get discouraged and there's fear and then they don't view the strike as an effective tactic. And then, of course, in collective in agreements over time, there are all these no strike clauses across public sector and private sector, just reinforcing no strikes
0: Um, in the contracts.
1: Yeah, exactly, and it just steals uh, the primary tool for workplace collective action.
0: Clear, like obvious infringement or assault on, at, at least as far as I know. Uh, free speech rights um absolutely yeah 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 yeah, yeah, that's wow especially yeah yeah it's it's talking about my history in organizing and stuff i got into organizing because of seeing people protesting because of people seeing uh because of seeing strikes because of seeing passionate charismatic leaders Stepping out in front, talking about the issues of the day, mm-hmm. and to think that employ workers, especially in the public sector, where they're managing the governing structures that govern our society, and, and and we're here like thinking about how messed up government is, and how slow government is, how slow the bureaucracy, how slow the bureaucracy is, and how leadership is not representing our communities. But like knowing, like I'm at an age, we're at an age now where people are, my friends are, are getting hired to work in City Hall. I'm I'm an elected school committee member now. And it's just like to hear of all the issues that my friends are going through that they wish that they could just fix to make government work for us. and And having to wait for leadership to do that is wild. Like they're the people on the ground. They they should be listened to right now.
1: Yes, yeah, it like it's such a it's that's such an important point. Is and this is where what I was saying at the outset is what our what our organization ACT of Mass tries to solve is like if you're really mad or moved or like pissed off about oppression and, and you see injustice in the world, like what do you do? Like how how do you take action on a bill? What can you do in your community? Um and over the last couple of decades, we've lev- we've created a political system in Massachusetts where I'm not entirely sure what you can do. Like, you can call your representative, but then they uh, aren't responsive and don't take action because the Speaker of the House controls our legislature and only passes one to two bills, ev- major bills every session. So that's not effective or doesn't move the needle. So then you zoom back into your community and the right to strike. And like that is... The most inclusive—it's real—it's way to participate in really deep democracy and affecting change. So that's something you could do if you were moved by injustice. But how you—it's—it's it's illegal. You're blocked from doing so. Um, so uh, uh, elites um, have, in a sense, taken away the right to strike. They control the state legislature. So if you're trying to, like, build long-term power over time and you don't – the the right strike is so critical because I don't know where else you go or I don't know, like, what other action you take really to really build power over the long term if it's not not striking to
0: organize. Well, yeah, right. Well, so it's interesting where people – where we have gone, quote-unquote we, I definitely have it, but where we have gone as a society is into privatization 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 has been pitched as this workaround to government and, and, it, and it's and it's not it's it's a subversion of government there, there was a, a state rep who shall remain nameless uh, but if anybody was working with me on the no-on too, with the teachers y'all know who I'm talking about shout out LTU. But they were saying, they said something about, like, so just matter of factly, right? She said that because government's slow and because our schools are in such dire need that we need to go the charter route. We need to go the privatization route. We need to hire these consultants to teach the teachers how to teach, right? Which is, you know, just think about that phrasing. That's ridiculous. (laughs) And the, the teachers who went to, who got their masters in education to teach them how to teach, right? Just to be clear, anybody doesn't know how much education teachers need uh, to become educators. So, and, and, uh, and then like, it almost went unchecked that she said that. And I was just like, I was like, hold up. We, government doesn't work because we don't have control of government. Workers don't have control of government. And that shifted, yes, to pat myself on the back. But the idea shifted the feeling in the room of mm. workers need power versus giving power over to private entities that don't have that are not that are not regulated. Um, so yeah, so this this whole and 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 right to strike is a way of giving workers power.
1: It is it solves the it solves the question of how do you have a really deep it's like the only answer in my mind at least in our current economic system and how it's designed to the question of how do you have deep democratic participation? How do you have a vibrant democracy that isn't driven by well-funded corporate lobbyists, very high, the highest social classes and elites? How do you do it? Like, how do you have everyone participate in their community decision-making and in their workplaces? And a strike, while some people like to frame it or present it as like a group of rebels who are anti-community and don't care about the students, Mm. framed alternatively, is just the community taking action in solidarity and support of the students in an act of like super deep and... Democracy and like high energy and and like participating in their communities. There's a whole like framing part about it, of course, that like slanders what a striking is and slanders the people organizing behind it. Um, But to the question, like, how do we how do we take the our our communities and democracy back from corporate like the corporate people, the ruling class that control it? I don't I don't know a better answer than striking.
0: Yeah, Henry Giroux. Um, um, I think of myself as a, a as a lay critical pedagogue, <laughs> uh, but Henry Giroux, who is an actual uh, in the Freirean uh, Paulo Freire uh, that wrote uh, Pedagogy of the Oppressed, is mm. a contemporary of um, that author. Mm-hmm. So Giroux talks about the need, the critical need for survi- for the survival of our of our country and our species. Uh, he says that we need a reinvigoration of public spheres of civic discourse. Mm-hmm. And protest and striking is the best way of reinvigorating it with the urgency that we need it in. Right? There, there's no incrementalism that's going to get us to do the things, the changes that we need. We need to hear from people directly. And it's really interesting that, like, seeing the results of our protests in the Merrimack Valley happening in an increasing rate since, since I've been active in protests here since 2012. Um, and, like, just the different coalitions getting together in 2016 and really starting to bridge together, how much conversation has been generated, how much more informed uh people are when we're knocking on their doors, how much more concerned and engaged students are in our schools because they're seeing themselves, their 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 neighbors, their friends, people in their in their in their networks. That I, I go to the Bodega, they see me, they see me at a protest. Yo, what up? We talked about that Black Lives Matter thing. That's a serious situation. You guys gotta get forced back into school that's a situation the teachers protested the other day let's talk about that what is happening what is not being covered what are we not being told Uh, a lot of these things are not being covered in the news they're not being we can't leave it strictly up to education administrators to educate our kids on what's relevant or what's not we can't leave it up to our bosses right to management to tell us what's right for us, if if not us, then who is going to yeah. make the decisions for us? And, and they we, know have answer, to we know
1: the answer. We know the answer to that. We know who fills in that void. Right.
0: So like it's the it's, Ed Reform movement. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Like this whole, I we could get into the whole like receivership thing and how like right to strike. If that if if striking was an option, in this talk of reopening in the middle of a global pandemic where Lawrence, a majority, uh, marginalized immigrant, first gen community, uh, black and brown community majority, right, uh, in the red because of we inherited, ha- we inherited, <laughs> uh, just those struggles, right? Those mm-hmm. struggles of being black and brown immigrants um, that have had to come to this country for for all the reasons. We could get into imperialism and all that stuff of the U.S. and all that. But, <laughs> you know, forcing us to go back into the schools, knowing that my neighbor's father died and he got kids, you know what I mean? And And they're scared of sending their kids back because even if the kids don't get it themselves, they're going to give it to them. And, and, and the, the their grandmother now might die. You know what I mean? And it's just like... Totally. Mm. And then we're thinking about the teachers who are thinking about this and, and themselves being older folks, uh, thinking about the, the, the people that are at risk in our community. Mm-hmm. As we talked about reopening in August and now again this past couple of months, if if the teachers had the right to strike, that would have been... Um, I, I, I want to say that we, we could have saved lives, you know? Schools are central points of vector for the virus.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah without question. But also the, rec- the receivership is such an interesting point because I uh, think about like in, in unjust distribution of wealth, but like also unjust distribution of power. And right to strike is all about redistributing power. It's just a tax on power back to people who deserve it. Uh, and our leading communities. But the receivership was the exact opposite. It was a consolidation of power and stripped away collective bargaining, fired, I think, a third of teachers ended up leaving Lawrence Public Schools, being replaced with more of the uh, TFA type, data-driven educators,
0: we lose 25% of educators every year. Really? Yeah. Which is half the teaching force every two years. I, I haven't seen the statistics of what we, how many folks we've lost um, since COVID, but mm-hmm. I imagine it's tragic. I had a question. I, the, so you've organized
1: both issue-based work, and then you've also done some labor organizing. How do you compare and contrast those two? Because they're, they're very different spaces. Where like Mm. issue advocacy is more almost a lobbying role, labor organizing. How do you think about those two and how right to strike exists in the labor space, but doesn't really exist in the in the the advocacy issue based
0: space? Yeah, I I think I think unions are critical structures for workers to be organized under. I think organized workers and unorganized workers need to join forces. Um, more and more, um, I think unorganized workers need to organize into unions. Um, I think the difference between the spaces is, is the essence of the word organized. You know, your organized structures help to streamline decision making processes and consensus building and all that stuff and dissemination of information and uh, sharing of the work and clear mm-hmm. roles and just an, an organized you're organized Uh, in terms of like unorganized. It's, it's, you, we really have to, people are doing other things. People are are working, they're struggling to survive. They're taking care of their kids. We're trying to get at residents whenever we can to do a couple of actions and hopefully, and, and then only informing them, as, as simply as possible, mm-hmm. because there's no real structure for them to be regularly informed and updated in a concentrated kind of course way that perhaps a union could provide. Totally. Uh, and, and, and many do. Um, obviously, if they are endorsing organizations and all that stuff.
1: Yeah, do. that makes so much sense to me. And it's something I think about a lot because Act of is primarily like structureless uh, advocacy based mobilizing and I always think it's like we're someone's third priority in their life they have their family their work and then their act their activism. so like it's helpful and but we're kind of like if they're thinking it like you're trying to take over like a wall a, a fortress or something it's like we're lobbing arrows but if you're the labor movement you're like attacking the structure of the whole building and building long-term power over time and mm. I think when you take away the right to strike, and we're thinking about the socialist movement, progressive movement, whatever word you want to use, like where 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 what where, where is our strength? We spend like, there's a lot of advocacy, but that's just arrows. The long-term power building where we're attacking the structure of the fortress of white supremacy or neoliberalism that is in the labor movement that's in unions, and without the right to strike, primary weapons gone. Right.
0: The the unions and striking. To go into my Bread and Roses background, I was the president, vice president, producer, and board member for, for the Bread and Roses Heritage Festival for like mm-hmm. seven years in Lawrence. If you don't know, it's the bombest, awesomest, like, okay. and I think only leftist festival in the, on the East Coast, uh, which is awesome and sad at the same time. Um, but every Labor Day, come through Lawrence mm-hmm. on the Common. Uh, but... Working with the unions then and and looking at the workshops and really getting familiar with local, not really familiar, but having a really good uh, knowledge of, of what created wealth in this country, right? Workers create wealth in this country, right? We got the benefits that we got, like social security, minimum wage, child labor laws, the fact that I don't have to throw my son to work when he's 11. When he was eleven, is awesome, and he could be in school is great, um, and my daughter too. Um, OSHA, HIPAA, privacy stuff, like all that stuff was, even if not directly, it it was won by massive struggle, massive protest, mass critical action, and you know we the the, the middle class was built by unions. Well, as a as a direct opposition to capitalist exploitation, right? Like, a thousand percent. Yeah, workers went on strike in Lawrence. Thirty thousand people, including so-called mill girls uh, and children and fathers. Uh, the reason why they streamed into the streets in in thirty. Think about how much is thirty k people. I don't even know. That's that's like. Lawrence is 100k people super dense right multi-level families the houses are are you can you can reach out and, and touch somebody next door you know? <laughs> imagine 30,000 that's like that's what is it a, a third a quarter a, over a quarter of uh, of our community uh they streamed out of the mill buildings here mm-hmm. because they cut um the, the, the legislator cut, the legislature cut the amount of hours that workers could should work. And it, it went, don't quote me on this one, you can look it up. But it was something like 56 hours work a week, got it down to like 52. But then the mill owners also cut their pay. And, just, and they were just like, excuse me? What? And literally the line is, that it was it was yelled short pay all out right. You're organized. You hear the call to action. Everybody put their equipment down. They streamed out the mills and they all rallied around and marched around City Hall and the Common and all the mills. And it was you know weeks long in the middle of winter. Um, they faced incredible violence by the state. Um, a woman died um and you know it was I, I forget their name i think it was anna lopizo but there was a bunch of people that got hurt in the mills uh just historically so i might be, you know forgetting the right name but the the right to strike brought the immense wealth and power and influence over that 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 the the private that the the mill barons these robber barons had in the city the city's public officials we're all like managers or stockholders or somehow mm-hmm. connected to the mills. Totally,
1: yeah.
0: Right. Like Abbott Lawrence was a mill owner. Right. And he was like the first mayor of the city. You know, it's just like the, the ties between the wealthy and property class, the predatory class, I call them also managing the public. Mm-hmm. Come on. That's, that's, that's fascism. Right. Uh, and I feel that that's what we're afraid of. That's what I'm afraid of that we're heading towards. If workers don't have power to check, uh, and re, and, and, and bring justice to our lives of getting the wages that we deserve, of getting the infrastructure that our communities need, getting the, the health programs and services that we need. Um, and just, just those basic protections of, being bread and roses, giving us enough pay and dignity in the workplace. And dignity means safety and respect. And like, there's so much more that goes with that, that just historically we could see that strikes and protests and direct actions and work slowdowns are critical pieces of working class people being able to secure our, our dignity in life and our quality of life.
1: Hundred percent. The thing that really lands with me is you said the strike leaders, the the union leaders said, "All right, everyone out, everyone, and everyone in that moment made their own individual decision and had agency over their own lives, yes. um, and in fighting for what they was rightfully theirs and what they deserved.
0: No one was coerced. It, yeah. it was
1: mm-hmm. this is this has to do with you too, man. And, and they had the decision." And then you read so many, you read personal narratives around those strikes, the textile strikes in the progressive era, and like the joy and ecstasy that comes with participating in some type of having control over your life and doing it with your fellow workers. Um, and that's really sadly not the way, I mean, there are, as, as much as we said, I think that unions are sort of our last hope and strongest element of the of the movement the um union, a lot of unions have not gone in those directions over the last three or four decades you've seen mm-hmm. budgets organizing budgets been slashed from it used to be organize the unorganized organize the unorganized and that was all unions spent money on outings picnics uh, building like shop steward infrastructure. And now it's how do we hire a few research people and like paid lobbyists, professionals. And unions have turned from rank and file organizations to business unions. They're really just businesses. Mm. They're only concerned about their membership numbers. And then you have these lobbyists that say, on behalf of the 50,000 members of my union, we don't do this. Or like, like here's my position to the to the elected official. And like, there's no... Organizing, there aren't, you don't, there aren't um, the decisions aren't made, and it re- with deep democratic fashion. And the, the, I think a great example of when that did play out was the Chicago Teachers Union in uh, 2018 um, when they were negotiating with the corporation with the Chicago um, whatever the school committee in Chicago, Rahm Emanuel, um, and the mayor's office they uh, reached the point where they had a deal and there was tremendous and growing kind of pressure to take that deal, but they still waited two or three days to disseminate the contract out to all the strikers on the streets so they could read it, provide feedback and have full participation. And it's like, that's the kind of agency that striking brings that just doesn't exist anymore where everything's done behind closed doors.
0: In, In our country right now, we have democracy in our political system, uh, incredibly flawed and not representative and corrupt as it is. We still can vote and have our voice heard somewhat, but we don't have democracy in the one place where we spend most of our lives, and that's at work. Every workplace essentially is ran by a dictatorship of the CEOs, the executives, and the stockholders, right? And it's incredible to me that we live in a country that believes in freedom and democracy, yet everyone works under these like mini dictatorships where we're told what to do, how to dress, how to operate and engage with one another, what to produce and how, where those resources are going to be coming from, how those resources are leveraged and and then and then you know we're we're told what is going to happen with the wealth that we create right like we don't have no say over the profits we have no say over the process we have no say over the working conditions um except for by the laws that we've won collectively by striking right and those laws are constantly being under attack and eroded this idea of workers uniting and having the options and the legal protections to do what they need to do in order to protect our communities is critical for a community like Lawrence that has been disenfranchised, not just in receivership that we just talked about, but where our, our city was literally designed to remain poor. Mm-hmm. Um, in literally, the like you want to talk about redlining, the city is practically a seven square mile square, you know? Um, where you know there's a whole history on it that would be awesome to go into at some point, but uh, maybe not today. But um, yeah, but we're 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 a pretty organized community. We got SEIU's, mm-hmm. we got the MNA, we got the AFT, mm-hmm. American Federation of Teachers, and and so many other unions that. If if they were given the ability or if they were given the legal protection, rather, to to really fight for, to, to not have to compromise before they need to compromise, right? When they're looking for better services, when they're looking to increase COVID safety protocols, when dealing with students or their clients at mental health facilities or their elderly people that we service, and they had the option to strike and have the legal protections to do so, I bet you our services would be better. I bet you our economy would be better. I bet you that our community would be more close-knit. Economic mobility would be a real thing.
1: Yeah, there's not a down in my mind. Should we talk really quickly about the campaign? Yeah, please. What are okay. we doing? Um, So Section 9A, again, bans, makes it illegal for public sector workers to strike. So there's a bill. It's um, H1900. It's very simple and it strikes Section 9A. So it just removes the ban on all public sectors, uh, all public sector workers' right to strike. Our campaign plan is to organize statewide both. Within public sector unions, but then also with allies and other advocates that are united in the belief that the right strike is is critical, is a fundamental human right. Um, organizing legislative meetings with our with our elected officials, primarily the state representatives, asking them point blank where do they stand on the issue, because that's a critical question. Representatives are not comfortable answering that or providing a clear guidance, but it's vital to like the health of our of our of our government functioning because we don't know where our legislators stand how to vote for them to try and find a primary challenger
0: put them on the spot it's healthy
1: you have yeah you really do and you can't you can't raise four or five issues it has to be one and it can be cordial um like it doesn't have to be i mean if as long as they're treating you with respect and like they're working really hard it's not easy to be a state representative but they owe you an answer Do they support the right to strike? Yes or no? So we'll ask those questions of as many legislators as possible, and that'll be driven by district members in those districts um, who ultimately have the vote. So they have the say over that person's uh, position as an elected official. Um, And that's, uh, that's the core of the strategy. And then also going local to local, talking about the right to strike how it's critical. Because while the removing the legal ban is really important, it's been illegal to strike since 1919 in the state. And strikes were at one point, there were multiple strikes per year, every single year in the 60s, 70s, and 80s, with educa- like, educators were striking every year because they weren't getting what they deserved from their school committees. So it's important to remove the legal ban, but at the same time, part of the campaign is going local to local to say this used to be very commonplace Mm. you should take action yes irrespective of the legal protections but we also want to at some point restore and join the 12 other states that do protect the right to strike for public sector workers because there's no reason that we should not be one of those 12 pro-labor states
0: yeah because like you were saying we're not taught What's happening? So it's like a, a top-down and bottom-up strategy.
1: Yeah, um, totally. And then the last thing is there was the um, the only thing I'd add is is just in that vein, like how important it is to get people or like the officials on the record of where they stand. There, uh, the Lawrence uh, Educators Organizers Forum. It was a really awesome forum, and this is an example of how this plays out. A couple uh, a couple weeks ago, and they had all of their state representatives and state senators on a Zoom call, and they just asked them over and over and over where do you stand? And the question was both ending receivership and right to strike, but just kept asking. And I, I'll just quickly read through what the responses were for people that might yeah. be interested, um, both for receivership and right to strike, public stances, because act of mass, part of our mission is really to disseminate where representatives stand so people can make well-informed decisions. Um, so Diana uh, De Zaglio, uh Senator, was yes on supports right to strike yes supports ending receivership lenny mira um, was yes ending receivership no answer on right to strike two representatives representative minicucci and representative vargas in that meeting left as soon as the hard asks started to take place now maybe they had another meeting but I, i can't speak for them um, and and the timing of possibly another meeting or not wanting to just be on the record. Hit them uh, up, folks. Yep. Uh, Linda Campbell was a yes for ending receivership. No answer on right to strike. Uh, James Kelcourse was yes on ending receivership. No answer on right to strike. Marcos Devers uh, was yes ending re- receivership. No answer right to strike. Trumdwin. Uh, left, similarly, right before the hard ask or the community members asking the reps where they stood, rep Nguyen, and then uh, Rep Moran, Frank Moran, was yes, ending receivership and no answer on right to strike. So no one wanted to provide it, wanted to weigh it in on right to strike. So that's why it's really important to go and have these focused, targeted conversations where do you stand.
0: Do we have um, a script or anything that people could uh, use or is it just the simple ask of giving them a call I think folks know that you could go to where do I ma.org if you don't know who your legislator is, who your state rep and your uh, represent uh, senator is.
1: Uh, yep, yeah, absolutely. So if you, if we'll be sending out more information, but as just a kind of RF, the way I think about it is emails and letters and voicemails, I, I, I hate to say this because it's so common in advocacy spaces, they don't work. They just don't build pressure, they don't build long term power. So the next option up for organizers in your community is to schedule a lobby day. Get like 30 of your friends, all voters. And like, trust me, this happens so infrequently. So it's a really good tool because it makes representatives accountable. Uh, So bring 30 of your friends, jump on Zoom for 15 minutes and just say, Representative X, this is super important to me. And here's why, where do you stand? We think that's a much more effective way to build pressure than than a phone. Um, so we'll be organizing these meetings. You can sign up at bit.ly slash right to strike um, would be the place to sign up for the campaign.
0: Awesome. Well, myself as a school committee member, I support all public sectors right to strike. <laughs> <That was laughs> we, political pitch.
1: We certainly support it at Act on that. <laughs>
0: awesome. Good to talk with you, man. Yeah, it's great, great to see you, Josh, as always.